baptism. All right, we're going to go into uh, the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't we turn to First Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, like you actually don't have one, we have free Bibles at the back near the little box over there. They're blue, hardback. They're for you. And so you can go grab one now if you don't have a Bible at home. Uh, otherwise, let's open up our Bibles or your Bible apps to First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to verse 1 to 10. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. And let me read this for us, and then uh, Daniel will preach for us today. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 10. Let me read. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the Word of God. Thanks, Paul. Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, uh, my name's Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word with you today. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm 30 years old, and I've been walking with the Lord for about 11 years now. Um, gosh, it's been that long. Um, I first became a Christian when I was 19, and um, as it is the case with a lot of us when we first become a Christian, uh, we are hungry to learn about all sorts of things, um, all sorts of topics uh, with a Christian lens, and I was one of those people, so I went to my local Kurong bookstore uh, when I was 19, and I just bought tons and tons of books. Um, some of them I've read, others are still on my bookshelf, uh, maybe that's you as well. Uh, one of the books that I really wanted to learn about, one of the topics I really wanted to learn about at the time, I mean, what do you reckon? A young 19-year-old, freshy Christian at university who wants to learn about what? Of course, I wanted to learn about dating, right? So I wanted to learn about how to date as a Christian. And there were lots and lots of books out there, some helpful, some not so helpful, some outright poor, and I don't recommend. Um, but one of these books uh, I grabbed and I read from uh, front to cover was a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It's a, it's a book about dating, and it's written by a person named Joshua Harris. Um, Joshua Harris was immensely influential in Christian circles at the time. Uh, he was a pastor of a mega church in America. He was a key speaker at many of the conferences that I wanted to go to or I listened to. Uh, he was young, um, and he seemed relevant. He seemed relatable to me. Uh, like many others at the time, I respected pastors like Joshua Harris uh, from a distance. I didn't really know the guy personally, uh, but uh, even so, I looked up to him in a way. Fast forward a few years, 2018. Joshua Harris 
publicly declares that his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, was wrong. And he discontinued its publication. And the year after that, in 2019, he dropped a bombshell. He announced that he and his wife were separating, and Harris will no longer consider himself a Christian. If you've been Christian for a while, then you probably know of people, either famous people or people in your life, who were once sitting beside you in church, in small groups, in ministry teams, praying with you and alongside you, praying for you, now no longer practice the same faith you do. Maybe they don't believe in church. Maybe they're one of those uh, folks who consider themselves a Christian, but they don't go to church anymore. Maybe they live their life however they want to, even as they continue to say that they are a Christian. Or maybe they, like Joshua Harris, have outwardly rejected the Christian faith altogether. Uh, Today, we're looking at a regrettable but all-too-common reality in the church, apostasy. When seemingly genuine believers leave the Christian faith, apostasy. You know, I wish it weren't true. I wish that I could say with confidence up here, open up God's word and say, all of you here sitting before me will make it to the end. I wish I could say that, but I can't. Not only because of my personal experience, because I have friends who were once sitting there, like you, who are no longer with us, who no longer confess Jesus as Lord, like I do, but also because of what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in our passage Paul gives Timothy, and through it, us, a warning about apostasy and an encouragement for Timothy in helping his church guard themselves against it. These 10 verses give us valuable insight on how you and I can understand and hopefully, this is the hope, hopefully prevent apostasy for ourselves and for the ones that we love around us, the brothers and sisters we hold dear in Jesus. That is our hope. That is my hope at the end of the talk. That is where I wish to land the plane. I have two points for us today. Two things that Paul instructs Timothy about apostasy. There is a warning and an encouragement. So if you're a note taker, those are the two. Warning, encouragement. Again, I said this before, but let me say it again. Apostasy is an agonizing and disturbing reality, but it is a reality nonetheless. So let's have a look at what the Bible says about it. First point is the warning. Verse 1 to 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. There it is. Uh, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made 
holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, when we look at that verse, um, I'll probably say that uh, verses 4 and 5 are uh, contextual in the sense that he's talking and addressing. So Paul is talking and addressing a specific uh, wrong teaching that the uh, Ephesian church, which is uh, what Timothy uh, which is the church that Timothy led, um, specifically dealt with. But let, let's look at that, that uh, wrong teaching. Forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. Now, you might be hearing that and say, well, in 2022, we don't have to worry about that. And that's largely true. I don't think you can find many Christian pastors out there uh, who are in our circles uh, who are teaching that as believers, you can't marry anyone, right? There are people who are uh, single in the church who have been blessed with the gift of singleness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, people who say, in the church, nobody can marry. We don't really know many people like that. Or people who say, if you're a Christian, you have to be a vegan or a vegetarian or a pescatarian or, a, I looked this up, ketogenic. I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's apparently a new diet these days. But apparently, uh, oh, not apparently, um, so thinking and Thinking like this as a Christian and imposing these sort of dietary requirements on people, we don't really know uh, Christian pastors or churches that teach that kind of stuff. But the warning still stands for us. Because the reality is, like I said, people still fall away. Because they believe in deceitful and demonic teachings. They still let their beliefs, rather than God's word, dictate and validate themselves. I'll give you some examples. I remember listening to the testimony of one pastor at a conference that I was recently at, and he was sharing about how early on, uh, early on in his Christian journey, he was part of a church that he's no longer a part of, uh, when one Sunday, the head pastor announced that he would be leaving his wife because God told him that he should marry the woman that he was secretly having an affair with. And then the congregation cheered for him. After that, he knew he had to look for a different church. Another example of this is, I know of a pastor that is currently struggling at the moment. (laughs) found this uh, hilarious, but also sad at the same time. Um, He's currently struggling to manage a couple in his church that were encouraging Christians to come to their house and practice full-blown nudity with each other. Because in Genesis, before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Um, yeah, that sounds crazy. <laughs> um, good luck, Pastor, uh, dealing with that. Now, the, these are just two examples of some, some teachings that lead to practice and ultimately lead to apostasy. People still fall away. People still believe in demonic teachings. People still do things and don't do things that are against the Word of God. So, so Kingsway, you and I need to listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say here. We need to hear his warning. And I think we can understand that warning in two different ways. The first way is to uh, to watch our teaching. Out of battery. I'll just say next slide, Minzu. Yep. Thank you. To watch... Your teaching. Now, I know that many of us here wouldn't call ourselves theologians and philosophers. Uh, many of you have given people like me, Paul, Peter, 
uh, who preach on Sundays uh, the authority uh, to teach you the things of God. And I'm so grateful for that. I really am. But I think that this sometimes encourages a sort of theological professionalism. You know, the pastor knows the theology. He will tell me what to believe in. Friends, as church members, it is your responsibility not only to sit under the teaching of the pulpit, but to make sure that any teaching you hear is true and biblical. Really. Whether it's on Sunday, as I preach, whether it's through a podcast, teaching, or even songs, Christian songs that you listen to. And and to be fair, guys, we have it much easier and better than Timothy. Because Timothy's church didn't have the New Testament. We have the entire Bible, literally, at the touch of a screen. And we need to take the time to learn it and know it. And I get it, not all of us like reading. Not all of us are bookworms. Not all of us are intellectuals. But I can tell you now, that if someone finds something important and they value it greatly and love it greatly, they will learn about it. If someone says to me, nah, I'm not much of a Bible reader or a, or a theology nerd, but then that same person can tell me every small detail about the game of basketball, right down to, I don't know, LeBron James' James's birthday or something like that, like something really obscure, that I wouldn't care about and I don't know, they know it. If that's the case, if that's the same person, maybe there is something else going on there. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch our teaching. And this warning is not just for me, though it definitely does apply to teachers like me. It is for all of us as listeners and learners. Watch what you are taught. And the best way to watch it is to learn the right stuff first, yeah? So you know what is right and what is wrong. That's the first way to understand the warning. Here's the second way. Next slide, please. Watch your conscience. Watch your conscience. It's often said that bad teaching leads to bad living. Why is that? Well, because teaching that pierces the heart has the effect of forming our conscience. Our conscience. What is, what is this word? Conscience. It, it, it's our moral compass. Everyone has one. The stuff inside us that helps us to distinguish right and wrong. The inner voice that tells us that something is okay or not okay. You and I each have a conscience. It's a conscience that is made in the image of God, affected by sin, but still it is a conscience that guides our everyday words, actions, thoughts. As Christians, this is what happens when we accept Jesus as Lord. When we do, the Spirit of God resides within us. That's what we believe. I think a good way to understand it is the Spirit of God 
the third person of the Trinity rests on and in our conscience as well. So the Spirit informs our conscience on top of everything I just said as we seek to live out our lives for Jesus. So imagine your conscience as a piece of flesh. Wrong teaching has the effect of cooking that flesh. And if we don't do something about it, that piece of flesh will eventually come to a point, like the Apostle Paul says here, where it is nothing but a seared pile of ashes. That is the image that I want us to have. I know it's somewhat of a gruesome image, but I think it is quite helpful for us. Because this is how seemingly Christian people eventually end up being okay with their sin. This is how eventually they come to believe that their sexual immorality, their unwholesome speech, their love of money, the list goes on. All of these things, eventually, they don't seem like much of a big deal to them. What was once something that bothered them day by day, Week by week, month by month, year by year, it slowly but surely bothers them less and less. Until their conscience, their moral compass is burnt to a crisp. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to your conscience now. What does it say to you. In moments where there is a decision to be made, one leads down a path of godly living and the other leads down a path towards a seared conscience. What will you do when you know that you've gotten to your limits? Will you say to yourself, just one more drink. When you are pushed to your limits, maybe by your children, will you give in to your anger and lash out at them? These are just some examples of where our conscience tells us, go left or go right. What will you do? You see, the state of our conscience and what our conscience tells us in those moments gives us a good indicator of how well or how badly we are keeping the faith. Listen to it before it's too late. Please listen to it. Now, let me end this point by, by addressing a, a theological question and issue. Because on the one hand, Paul clearly tells Timothy that some will leave the faith. But on the other hand, Paul says many times elsewhere in his letters that once saved, always saved. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. We even sang about that in one of our songs today. So, so which is it, Paul? Is it up to us to persevere in our faith? Or is it up to God to preserve our faith. See the issue there? Next slide, please. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. This is Paul speaking. 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul. Let's look at elsewhere in the New uh, New Testament. This is the Apostle Peter speaking now. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, which is it? Perseverance or preservation? The answer is, yes, it is. Yes, because God preserves our faith. Yes, we persevere in our faith. Both are true. Lose one, and you go down, you go down a dark path. See, the apostle Paul presses on in his faith because Jesus has already made Paul his own. The apostle Peter wants us to confirm what is already done. God has called you and chosen you. How do we digest this? Let me put it this way. True genuine believers in the room right now would have heard what I said and it would have made them think. It would have made them think about their lives. It would have made them even a little bit uncomfortable. It would have made them ask themselves, am I falling away as well? Because you know why? True and genuine believers know about their sin. They're honest about their faults and failures. And, and God's word means something to them. Those who are not, well, they might not care about it too much. God's word isn't much of a concern to them. And, and, and though I might say it, I pray that there are none of these kinds of people here today. I, I, I pray and I wish and I hope that all of us might be sitting there feeling a little bit uncomfortable if you say that you are a Christian. But speaking of uh, pressing on and confirming our calling, let's press on and hear a little bit more about what the Apostle Paul says. Point two, this is the encouragement. It's from verses six to 10. Next slide. Thanks, Mizu. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul helps us out a lot uh, here by comparing 
training for godliness, which is the encouragement, right? Short pen summary, train for godliness. He compares it with training uh, our physical bodies. I might not look it, but there was a time in the ancient past before COVID when I joined the gym uh, and I, I went somewhat, yeah, somewhat regularly. And, and I learned a couple of things um, in that uh, season of my life. Uh, number one, gym membership is really expensive. And if you don't go, it's, yeah, it's not worth it, guys. Uh, but I also learned that working out requires work. You've got to go regularly, don't you? If you're like super motivated and you go every day for one month and then you stop going, what happens? You just lose all your muscle. Uh, you've got to do the workouts properly as well. Um, I remember going by myself and not knowing anything. I literally <laughs> wandered fitness first for about 40 minutes. And then I, I had to you know, get my money's worth, so I jumped on the treadmill and then I pretended to run for about 10 minutes and then I left. That was it. Um, and you know, I, I, I came to my senses and I said, okay, I really need to go with someone that uh, knows what they're doing. So I, I have a good friend of mine, if you know him, I'm not going to name him here, uh, but he loves his gym. Um, and he took me and uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, he showed me how to use the machines properly. Yeah, he showed me uh, what workout to do, uh, to work on what part of the body and so on. Um, and it was great. And then COVID hit. So, you know. um, if you work out, do any, and sort of, I guess, do any sort of, uh, yeah, you, you don't need to uh, just think of it as working out. If you do any sort of exercise, um, if you do, if you play sport, I know some of you guys play Oztag. Uh, I know some of you guys do jujitsu and, and so on. Um, training and godliness uh, applies the same principles that you learn in that space. So if you are in that space, good on you. Uh, you will, it will be easier for you to apply this. Um, yeah, so keeping the faith uh, requires us to work out. Just as our bodies do not lose weight just by sitting on the couch, how awesome would it be if that was the case, but unfortunately it's not, um, our bodies don't gain muscle because you just sit at home playing video games. Yep. Um, Paul is saying here that the same principles should be applied by us who want to grow in godliness and press on in our Christian faith. It is the same, in a sense, as physical exercise. I think that's really helpful for us. Because remember, we're still talking about the reality of apostasy. Okay, God, uh, not God, Paul is talking about people falling away, and then he says, to prevent that from happening, work out your faith. Because some people do fall away from the faith. And I think, I think when we think about this, this uh, topic, we, we overcomplicate the question. We, we think to ourselves, maybe you thought it just then, okay, apostasy exists, people in the church fall away, how do I not fall away? What's the answer? Oh, it seems like a tough one. In one sense, it really isn't, guys. Because that's the same question as, okay, I feel like I'm getting a bit of a gut. I feel a little bit weak. I feel unhealthy. My blood test came back and it wasn't that great. I need to fix it somehow. How do I get healthy in my, you know, body? It's the same answer. We just need to work out. It's very appropriate that Paul connects that to physical exercise. 
how do I make sure I don't become healthy? How do I make sure I don't become unhealthy in my faith? Same answer. We work out. We work it out by working out, if you will. Next slide, Bintu. Have conviction and motivation. I'm going to sound like a, like a, anyways. Um, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, 9 to 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Okay, guys, in working out, what separates the one who gives up when it gets tough, like me, and the ones who keep on going, like my friend? Why is it, or why was it, that some of us never went back to the gym after the COVID lockdown ended? Why was it that others of us spent the time and energy and lots and lots and lots of money to set up a home gym to keep us going through the lockdown? What differentiates person A and person B? Well, it's conviction and motivation, isn't it? And in the same way, Christians who have conviction and motivation grounded in what Paul says in these verses, they are a cut above the rest of us who always seem to be in the same space, who always seem to be drifting, or worse, drifting away. Those of us who have good doctrine, those of us who believe in it, head, heart, and soul, those of us who really believe the Bible, like in verse 9, that these sayings are trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And finally, those of us who have this conviction in hope. Hope set on God. Let me ask you this question, guys. If you are a Christian, what is your conviction and motivation? What is it? could answer it in some different ways. But bear in mind, this is probably the same question that your trainer at the gym will ask you. Once you get a personal trainer, they'll ask you, they'll sit me down and be like, okay, Daniel, why are you doing this? What is your conviction and motivation? It's very similar. And the answer will determine whether we last or not. As Christians... This is one way to understand it. Our, Christ, uh, our conviction and motivation is this. Hope. That's the word, hope. Our hope in our Savior God, verse 10, keeps us going. What is hope? It's a buzzword. It's a good word. But let's define it. To hope in something or someone is to look forward with confidence about a promise that was given. I'll say it again. To hope in something or someone is to look forward with confidence about a promise given, about a future that is 
ahead of us. About a life that, that looks forward to a life that is not like what it is right now. A person who feels like they have everything in the here and now probably wouldn't hope much in their life. There's nothing to hope in because they have everything. But as Christians, of course we are not who we want to be right now. Of course we're not. I wish I was holier than I am now. I wish I loved Jesus more than I do now. But we know how our story ends, doesn't it? We, we know who we will be in the future. That is hope. To hold on to that promise. That is called hope. And just generically, not even in the Christian circles, people who have hope, there's just something different about them, isn't there? That, that positivity, that, that outlook in life, that there is a baked-in kind of dedication and determination in that hope, isn't it? A kind of spark that no one can really see, but at the same time, no one seems to be able to take away. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to have, this kind of hope. We grow in our conviction and our motivation as we hope in the future. Christians hope. That keeps us going. And speaking of dedication and determination, next slide. We need to have it. Uh, I talked a little bit in the first point about deceitful and demonic teachings. Uh, teachings. I think there is one particular one today. And it holds an incredible influence over us. And many of us don't even know. It's the idea that once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation, which is true. Amen to that. God holds us and preserves us. And therefore, this is where the, the wrong teaching comes in. And therefore, you can do whatever you want, my friends. You can live however you want. And you are still safe as a Christian. That is wrong. For those who believe in this with all their hearts, really, I, I, I grieve for them. I grieve because there are many, many ex-Christians who took that path in our generation and are where they are now because of it. I grieve because there are so-called Christians out there who aren't quite ready like Joshua Harris to explicitly come out on Instagram and say, I deny the faith, but are well on their way. To do so. All because they have bought into this lie that since God preserves the faith of his chosen people, I do not need to do anything and I can do whatever I want. This is not true. This is a deceitful and demonic teaching from the mind of Satan. Christians do not think like this, nor act like this, at least permanently. Paul's encouragement to Timothy here is for us in this respect. 
Look at it on the other end. You and I must train in godliness, friends. There are no shortcuts. There are no performance-enhancing spiritual drugs. We need to try. That, that is my plea. If you, if you forget everything that I said today, just remember that. God wants you to try in your faith. Just give it a go. Keep going. Dedication and determination. In other words. See, I've seen gym lovers go out of their way and find more experienced trainers to help them in their dedication and determination. Why can't we as Christians do that as well? If we love Jesus, why can't we look for people who are a little bit more mature and ask them to train us in godliness? I mean, some of us carve out times in our weekly schedules, prioritizing our sports and our gymming above everything else to become more dedicated and determined. Well, then is it so much then as Christians to do the same? Because sports and gymming and working out and doing all these things, Paul says it has some value. I'm not saying don't go to the gym or don't play sport. It has some value. But comparatively speaking to godliness, godliness has infinite value. Why? Because it benefits now and in the future. Brothers and sisters, dedication and determination is not unchristian. I'll tell you what is unchristian. Idleness and indifference. We need to try, my friends. We need to get better at being godly. I've, I, I've re referenced this quote many, many times in uh, my talks. Uh, next slide, please. But I think it really hits at home. This is Don Carson speaking here. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Godliness is not a given. The remedy for apostasy is godliness, but godliness is not a given. We need to try. So let's give it a go, brothers and sisters. Let's be determined and dedicated to pushing through towards godliness. Let's not stand still. Because if we stand still, we might even drift backwards. Let's take the lessons we learned, especially when godliness gets tough, 
Let's take the lessons we learned in physical training and apply it in godliness. It's something that matters far more. I'll end by saying what I said in the beginning. I wish it weren't true, but it is. Apostasy exists. People in the church can fall away. Paul warns Timothy, and through it, I believe God is warning us even today. Watch your teaching, Kingsway. Watch your conscience. But he encourages us as well. There is a way forward. Kingsway, focus on your conviction and motivation. Be dedicated and determined in godliness. At this point in time, we don't know who is truly a Christian. I've had many conversations with many of you guys, and we talk about this, don't we? It's like, do you reckon that person's really a Christian? Do you reckon I'm really a Christian? We don't really know. We will eventually find out. At least for ourselves. You know when? At the end of our lives. You will find out, I will find out, whether I am truly a Christian, if I get to the end. And when we are at the end, will we be still clinging to our faith as God holds us tightly and perfectly? That is what I want for every one of us here. Will we be saying that the, uh, the words of the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life? He said these words in Second Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are these words going to be yours? Or will it be that at the end of my life, Jesus is a distant memory from a time in my past that I had long ago left behind? Again, we cannot know who is truly a Christian now, especially when we think about others around us. Only God knows, and whom God knows as his children, he will undoubtedly keep them to the end. But, but this is not an exercise then, or permission, giving, uh, I'm not giving anyone permission to, to point fingers and judge others, no. No, 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 we, we have no right, nor the knowledge, to know who is a sheep or, or a goat, a believer or an unbeliever. But you and I have this responsibility ahead of us to ask ourselves the question, am I keeping the faith? Apostasy exists. People in the church can and sadly do fall away. So examine yourselves this week, brothers and sisters. Is what you believe about God, what the Bible says? Is your conscience still being guided by the Spirit or something else? Choose to walk with Jesus. We need to try. We need to run with him. Train yourself in godliness. Keep the faith. Don't lose it. Let's pray.
want to give you guys a, a space here just to personally do business with the Lord. It's a talk that many of us really don't want to hear. Um, at times, I, I felt frustrated that I was called to preach this passage, but, but I think I eventually came to the terms with it. It is something that we do need to hear. Um, the good thing about preaching the whole counsel of God is sometimes we land on passages that really make us feel uncomfortable. And yet, it's in the midst of that discomfort, God comforts us. It's in the midst of that uh, disturbing sort of feeling deep down in our gut that God uh, brings us up in joy. And, and I want to give you that space to do business with God in that sense. Just, just talk to Him and, and ask God, God, I, I, I feel like I am idle. God, I feel like I, I have been indifferent at many times and, and I don't want to be like this. I, I, I want to be godly. I, I want to pursue Jesus. I, I want to train myself to be better at following you. That kind of prayer, God, God will answer, my friend. God delights in hearing that kind of prayer. God delights it when his children come to him in surrender and ask him, Father, help me. So I want to give you that time to do that. Pray and ask God, God, protect me from apostasy. Guard my faith as I fight to guard it in myself as well. Let's spend some time together in prayer and then the music team will lead us in song. Let's pray.